Welcome to this Touch podcast activity, which has been recorded for Touch Infectious Diseases. Two experts in infectious diseases, Dr. John Amwasi from Ghana and Dr. Christina Obiero from Kenya, respond to questions from the primary care, respiratory and infectious diseases communities. Pre-canvassed questions were gathered from healthcare professionals involved in managing COVID-19 vaccinations. The questions cover the benefits and risks of COVID-19 vaccination, what prevents people from getting vaccinated, and how healthcare workers can help to improve COVID-19 vaccine uptake. This activity is funded by an independent medical education grant from Moderna Inc. This activity is jointly provided by USF Health and Touch IME. Hello, my name is Dr. Christina Obiero and I'm a clinical investigator at the Kenya Medical Research Institute in Kilifi, Kenya. I'm here today with Dr. John Amwasi from the Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology in Kumasi, Ghana. Welcome, Dr. Amwasi. It is my pleasure to welcome you to this discussion on practical considerations for COVID-19 vaccination in Africa. Today, you're going to look at the at three main um, aspects of COVID-19 vaccination, and this includes the benefits and risks of COVID-19 vaccination, we're also going to look at what prevents people from getting vaccinated. And then we'll finally look at how healthcare workers can help to improve COVID-19 vaccine uptake. So we're going to start by looking at what are the benefits and risks of COVID-19 vaccination. Safe and effective COVID-19 vaccines are crucial in reducing disease morbidity and mortality and protecting health systems and livelihoods. COVID-19 vaccines have been shown to be immunogenic in African populations who have been found to have who have, who have been found to have a high background seroprevalence and also um, have suboptimal coverage of vaccines. In addition to this, the effectiveness and efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines against COVID-19-related hospitalization and deaths has been demonstrated in African populations, and this includes effectiveness against severe disease caused by variants of concern. Despite limited safety surveillance of adverse events following immunization in Africa, an analysis of the WHO's um, database on ad adverse event reporting, known as um, VAGI-BASE, showed that the most commonly reported adverse events are classified as either general disorders or administration site disorders. The four leading vaccines against COVID-19 used in Africa have been shown to have comparable efficacy against infection and severe disease caused by the Omicron variant. Vulnerable populations such as people living with HIV infection, immunocompromised patients, pregnant women, and the elderly have been shown to be at a higher risk of severe COVID-19 disease and death as compared to the general population. Despite the uh, demonstration of reduced immunogenicity and um, effectiveness of COVID-19 vaccines in subpopulations of individuals who are at risk of adverse outcomes, COVID-19 vaccines remain to be crucial in preventing these adverse outcomes, and more studies are needed to better understand their role in um, optimizing care among um, clinically vulnerable populations. Let's look at some of the questions submitted by our audience on the benefits and risks of COVID-19 vaccination. What has been your experience of the effectiveness of vaccines at limiting COVID-19 infections and what do you say to people who perceive no benefits from vaccination? 
Many people in my community ask me why they should bother being vaccinated when they know people who are fully vaccinated and still caught the virus. Thank you very much, Dr. Obiero. I think this is a really important question uh, you're asking. COVID-19 vaccines uh, have been shown to be very effective. However, our, our knowledge and understanding about these vaccines has evolved over the period. When the vaccines first uh, were brought to market, there was a hope that they would really completely prevent one from getting the, the, vi the virus or the infection. Or the idea was that the, the risk of getting the infection would be really, really low. But as you know, the, the virus evolved, if I put it that way. And uh, in, in that respect, our understanding of the utility of vaccination also changed along the line. But the one thing that must be clearly understood is that the vaccines do protect you ultimately from severe disease and especially from dying from COVID-19 infection. They also, to a large extent, uh, would protect you uh, from uh, getting the, uh, the disease in itself. But this may vary depending on the kind of vaccine that you receive and also where you're located and your risk of getting infected. Obviously, for health workers, the risk may be much higher because uh, we may be more exposed to people uh, with the virus. And this is perhaps the more reason why health workers need to be vaccinated because the risk is much higher, as the literature has shown. So for me, there's no question that the vaccination is critical. It is important. And even going beyond uh, to recognize that uh, further vaccination, especially for healthcare workers, might be necessary. So bottom line, clearly really important. And the fact that one uh, has been vaccinated doesn't mean you can't get the virus. And the fact that you were vaccinated and got the virus doesn't mean that the vaccination was ineffective. Thank you, Dr. Moasi. Our next question asks, some people think that the vaccine isn't needed for them, such as older people who may not feel it is worth it. Have you encountered this in your clinical practice and how can you help reassure people with specific doubts? No, I think it's a, a real issue to consider, um, but it's ironic that it is actually the older people who need this more. The reason is uh, we've seen from the, uh, the data that uh, the older you are, especially if you're above 50, your risk not only of getting the infection, but also of severe disease and possibly dying is significantly higher. Now I'm using significantly higher because the, the numbers differ from region to region, but bottom line, the older you are, especially if you're above 50, uh, the, 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 the potentially worse off you could be. So if there's any group of people who need the vaccination the most, it is the older population. So I would say it is very much worth it. Regarding people who have very specific doubts, you know, what I would say is uh, th these are not unfounded because there may be some particular kinds of, of people or populations who uh, may be at higher risk of the disease or otherwise, or some who may have concerns about um, what the impact of vaccination could be. And considerations have been made for people who, for one reason or the other, uh, may need to have special considerations regarding being vaccinated or otherwise. And there is adequate information around this. And this is why when you're getting vaccinated, specific questions are asked 
And if you happen to fall within a certain category where special considerations need to be made, these are made. Thank you, Dr. Mwasi. People have told me that they have friends who have died or have experienced heart and respiratory problems or even Bell's palsy after receiving the vaccine. It's difficult to convince people that vaccines are not dangerous. What is the truth about the safety of COVID-19 vaccines and are there any long-term effects? Well, thanks for that question, Dr. Bureau. I think the question about safety and efficacy is critical. But it's also important to understand that before these vaccines are put into the arms of anybody, the question about safety and efficacy has already been answered. And as you well know, we conduct clinical trials, what we call phase one, phase two, and then phase three clinical trials. By the time it gets to the population, it's been through all these stages. The safety has been cleared, the efficacy has been cleared. Now, this does not mean that there are zero side effects or negative impacts of vaccines. The question is always, what is the population level trade-off here? And I can tell you from the literature and from the evidence that the COVID-19 vaccines are among the safest vaccines that we have all over the world, including considering other vaccines that are given both to adults and to children. There are people who have experienced some negative side effects of vaccination. These are in the small minority, really, uh, it doesn't mean that they don't exist, but when you do the math, it clearly shows that this risk is very small and it clearly shows also that this risk is very much worth taking. And to uh, the further question around the long-term effects, this is a really challenging question uh, simply because COVID-19 vaccines have not been around for as long as several other vaccines have been around. Now, this doesn't mean we, we cannot tell per se because vaccines have been part of our lives for decades. And it is very clear that there are no significant long-term effects of vaccination. But if you consider what the risks have been or what the risks were and what they still are today, the wise choice is to go for vaccination. And we continue to learn as we go. Thank you very much, Dr. Mwasi, um, on that important um, discussion about the safety of COVID-19 vaccines. Our next question has to do the, with the importance of vaccination campaigns. How important do you feel vaccination campaigns will be in the long run? Um, how, do you feel, how do you think that future vaccine COVID-19 strains may play a part in vaccination efforts and will this affect booster doses? Dr. Ribeiro, I think uh, this is, again, a very important consideration. And many people ask these questions about vaccination campaigns. Do we still need to, to push this? Uh, have we not done enough? Is the, is the virus not on, on, the, on the downside now? So why do we need to continue? Now, I think it's now more than ever important to push this. This is because we've clearly seen how this vaccine, this uh, virus has changed um, over the period. And this virus was only able to change so quickly because of what we call the force of infection. The numbers, the sheer numbers of people who are getting ill or getting infected with the virus and the speed at which this was happening allowed the virus to change so quickly into forms that uh, were very different from the earliest forms that we saw. Thankfully, 
this virus, uh, shall I say, evolved in a way that now it's much more contagious. It can spread faster, but it's less, um, it causes less severe illness, if I put it that, that way. But there's no guarantee that it will remain that way. It could always evolve into something that causes much more severe illness. And this is why it's important that a critical mass of vaccination is achieved. This will allow the, the force of infection to, to really slow down or to come down to a really low level so that the virus no longer has the opportunity to evolve or change so quickly that it could become something that uh, we, we don't want in, in the long term. And the question of booster doses, at this stage, uh, people have received two doses, three doses, and some many more. In fact, in some parts of the world, healthcare workers continue to receive uh, doses of vaccines on a periodic basis. But globally for travel, uh, normally people will be required to have had two doses for, for those vaccines which do require two doses and for those that are one, it's enough. But I really need to make it clear that this could change. And when it changes, we have to be in a position to explain why and to be able to encourage people uh, to follow the science and to get a booster if that is absolutely necessary uh, to uh, our success in controlling this virus. Thank you very much, Dr. Mwasi, for that very interesting discussion. We've now come to the end of the first session of our discussion today. Thank you again, Dr. Mwasi. Thank you, Dr. Biero. Thank you. So in our second section, you're going to look at what prevents people from getting vaccinated. Africa continues to lag behind the rest of the world towards achieving um, goals related to vaccinating at least 70% of its population against COVID-19 infection. And um, the Africa Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has reported variable um, vaccine acceptance, uptake, and coverage rates across the region, with the lowest um, rates reported in the Central African region. Vaccine hesitancy has largely contributed to low uptake of COVID-19 vaccines in Africa. And this is due to factors such as concerns related to the origin, the safety and efficacy of vaccines, given the rapid um, rate at which the vaccines were developed and rolled out. And this has been compounded by public misinformation. Additional context-specific context drivers to low vaccination rates include global vaccine inequality and also logistical challenges such as um, complex storage needs, all of which affect vaccine supplies. Now, Dr. Mwasi, let's look at some of the questions submitted by our audience on what may prevent people from getting vaccinated. The first question has to do with the reasons related to vaccine hesitancy. What are the main reasons you have seen for vaccine hesitancy in your region? Um, which of the concerns do you think are the most valid and contribute, to the most, the, and contribute the most to the low confidence in COVID-19 vaccines? Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Biero. I think vaccine hesitancy has been an issue uh, not only in Africa, but in, in all parts of the world. Now, the question as, as to whether it's uh, valid or not, I think needs to be and all we need to take a step back and, and, and look at this because um, it, it's, it's the reactions or the actions of people and it's for us to understand why they believe in a certain way and why they are acting in a certain way. 
it's only when we're able to do this that we can hopefully uh, make inroads uh, and, and, and improve the, the uptake of these vaccines. So the question about you know, vaccine hesitancy and what, what concerns are, are, are most valid and, 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 other, and, and so on, I think the focus is, is, is rather more on uh, just trying to understand why people are hesitant. And some of the reasons why people have come up with this is the speed with which the vaccines were developed. Yes, this was totally unprecedented. Uh, never happened before that we've been able to, you know, um, have, have, have a method or approach to developing vaccines, starting with the mRNA technology. Uh, but it's important to understand that this technology, this understanding really existed years ago, if not, if not decades ago. It was only, or, or the, the need to advance this technology uh, still hadn't yet come, or should I say, we were rather hesitant in advancing this technology uh, because there was no strong um, demand for it. However, with the advent of the, of the pandemic, it was very clear that uh, there were limited options as to how vaccines against this virus, uh, the SARS-CoV-2 could be developed. And this option was very clearly a promising one. It was explored, it was experimented, found to be really safe and effective, and it was developed into a product for the masses. And if you ask me why, what I think contributes to the, uh, the very low confidence in COVID-19 vaccines, I think the, the single most important one is um, people's initial view that once you get the vaccine, you cannot get ill. It turned out not to be so. Uh, and maybe, maybe we have ourselves to blame for that because the initial thinking or the thinking around vaccines in general has been that they prevent you from getting the disease. The truth is that, and you, you, you already demonstrated this in your presentations, that the vaccines uh, do prevent you from getting disease to some extent. They prevent you from getting ill to an even larger extent or severely ill to a larger extent and to a very large extent will prevent you from dying. I think people are far removed from this understanding. And if we can do a better job of demonstrating the different levels, which are quite different, at which the vaccines provide benefit, I think it will go a long way to reducing vaccine hesitancy. So our next question has to do with mis misinformation around COVID-19 vaccines. There's so many myths and rumors around COVID-19 vaccines that are impacting vaccine acceptance in my clinic. How can I effectively separate fact from fiction? And what strategies can I use to minimize the spread of vaccine misinformation in my community? Thanks again for that question. I think as we, as we all know, the best way to overcome an enemy is to really understand the enemy, understand their tactics and understand uh, the way they go about fighting. So one thing I think we really need to do is to, is to understand these myths to understand these misunderstandings and some of these lies, where they emerged from and what they anchor the arguments on. There will, of course, be some miscreants who create panic and who just fabricate lies, either for the fun of it or because it, they get some profit out of it. But the vast majority of people who even perpetrate some of these heard it from somewhere and they genuinely believe it and they think they are helping people to save themselves from 
uh, something that may be injurious. Now, once we understand these, we can step by step demonstrate clearly that these are lies or these are myths or these are totally unfounded. And I think really understanding the channels also through which people receive information, uh, both the traditional channels and, and the more uh, technology-based uh, channels uh, such as the social media channels are really important. And I think many, many countries, especially in Africa, have done a good job of, of, of using high-profile figures either in politics or in, in the arts and in the sciences uh, to explain uh, to the general population. What I'm perhaps more concerned about is the, the rural masses. And these are really the majority of our populations in Africa who to some degree are unable to connect with some of uh, the, the, the people we use for some of these campaigns. And I think what we need to do is to tailor some of these uh, campaigns and educational messages to really speak to uh, uh, the issues that are of greatest concern to the rural masses and to use mediums and uh, individuals who they can connect better with, especially, especially in, in the local dialects, both written and spoken. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Masi. I totally agree with you regarding um, identifying and um, tailoring um, strategies towards addressing misinformation by working with um, local opinion leaders who may have um, a role with regards to information, um, generating information and passing information to the communities regarding COVID-19 vaccination. So our next question has to do with um, um, vaccination among people who have um, risks. Um, the question asks, common reasons that I hear from people who haven't yet had the vaccine are, I am immunocompromised and don't know if I can take the vaccine, or I am pregnant and don't know if vaccination will harm my baby. What is your advice for healthcare workers who are regularly faced with these concerns? Again, I think this is a very important consideration. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, there are different categories of people. And you rightly mentioned also in your presentation how uh, the elderly, pregnant uh, women, the immunocompromised and, and others are at higher risk of disease. Now, this is the more reason why these are the very group of people who need to be prioritized. You'd realize that we, we were very careful in rolling out these vaccines, especially among, for example, pregnant women. It took a lot of research and testing uh, to be sure that the vaccine was safe in pregnant women. The natural thinking would have been that pregnant women especially need the vaccine, and this is true hypothetically, but there was no rush to vaccinate pregnant women because we wanted to be sure it was safe. And this was proven, as soon as it was proven to be safe, the drive to really vaccinate pregnant women went really strong and it, it is now very clear that not only does vaccination protect the pregnant woman, the pregnant woman, it also uh, protects the unborn child. And it's very clear that it does not harm uh, the baby in any way. For healthcare workers who uh, are concerned about this, it's really important that we present them with the facts and the evidence. And it's good to know that most, uh, or shall I say, healthcare workers generally are educated. Most uh, can understand some scientific detail and a good uh, level or cater of healthcare workers can also read for themselves. So really compiling the evidence uh, in, in a bite-sized way, uh, in a punchy way, um, and not only presenting it to them orally, but also 
uh, giving them the opportunity to read for yourself and showing where these sources are, showing the numbers of people who are engaged in these uh, uh, clinical trials and other tests uh, really can be a strong message because it's these same healthcare workers who will be the advocates uh, to these very uh, people who may be at heightened risk of infection, of severe illness and of death. Yes, thank you very much, Dr. Mwasi. And um, one thing I'd like to add is that um, individuals who are at a higher risk of um, severe COVID-19 outcomes do need um, comprehensive care. For example, um, people living with HIV, this is because um, studies have been um, done and have shown that individuals who, have, um, who are living with HIV and have low CD4 counts are at a higher risk of adverse outcomes. Yeah, so Dr. Biero, your, your comment on the immunocompromised, I think, is, is really poignant. Um, and we need to also add to this the fact that there are several options or a number of options for vaccines that are available. And special provision has been made for different at-risk populations, including immunocompromised people, to receive a vaccine that will not be harmful to them. So we'll move to the next question. How can I talk to frustrated people in my clinic who want to receive the COVID-19 vaccine when there is limited supply in my region? Why is it difficult to access and deliver the vaccine in some regions, but not others? Thank you, uh, Dr. Biero. The issue of access to vaccines is one that um, has been of great concern, and particularly um, across the African continent, uh, where in the, in the beginning, uh, there was concern that the, the disease was really going to totally ravage uh, the continent. Uh, when the vaccines um, were finally developed, um, there was also great concern uh, that Africa was largely ignored in access uh, to these vaccines. Eventually, that problem was solved to some degree, and Africa was able to uh, receive vaccines starting off with Ghana, and I remember very well all the fanfare around that. Um, but people are still unable to access vaccines. Um, and some people are able to access them but don't want them. So it's really a checkered picture. Now, specifically to those who want them but uh, think they are not available or cannot access them, I think that um, what we need is to really push out information about where these vaccines are available because the vaccines are available in many places and people simply do not know. So what I know countries have been doing is to organize periodic uh, COVID-19 vaccine campaigns. But for me, the best option is to just visit the local health facility. They will be able to tell you whether it's there or not. And if it's not there, they may be able to direct you uh, to the closest location where you can get one. So it's just a question of asking, uh, but we also must be more forward with that kind of information. Thank you, Dr. Mwasi, for that interesting conversation. And so with that, we've come to the end of our second section. In our third section, you're going to look at how healthcare workers can help improve COVID-19 vaccine uptake. The 2014 Ebola virus outbreak um, in Western Africa caused significant loss of lives and socioeconomic disruption in the region Vaccines against Ebola virus disease were crucial in protecting um, people from getting um, infected and also from dying from the disease. 
vaccination efforts um, during and after the outbreak have been important in the identifying challenges impacting vaccine uptake. Um, and these challenges include um, concerns about um, the origin of the disease, the origin of the vaccines, and also concerns about perceived risks of Ebola infection and other concerns that are related to systemic, um, systemic challenges such as um, poor infrastructure related to um, storage of vaccines. African countries have had significant experience in implementing vaccination campaigns in response to epidemic threats such as those faced during the Ebola virus outbreak. Um, strategies that have been um, identified include those addressing um, lack of awareness or mistrust of vaccines, and this includes ensuring um, clear communication to the communities regarding um, vaccine development, um, the safety and efficacy and deployment of the vaccines in the community. Other strategies that have been identified through the experience um, that African countries have had with regards to um, vaccination campaigns have to do with um, strategies related to um, engaging and co collaborating with stakeholders in planning um, vaccination campaigns and also in involving them in, um, in decisions um, related to policy. Um, the other strategies have to do with addressing um, vaccine hesitancy, and this have, has to do with um, ensuring that communication regarding the vaccines is clear to the communities with regards to um, the development and rollout um, strategies, and also integrating um, vaccination campaigns to um, already existing um, immunization, immunization efforts so as to decrease um, time and burden um, on communities and the healthcare workers. Now, Dr. Amwasi, let's look at some of the questions submitted by our audience on how we can improve COVID-19 vaccine uptake. Given the differences in attitudes to COVID-19 and vaccination throughout the pandemic, what would be your message to governments about how they can use their influence to help healthcare workers to reinforce the importance of vaccination? Oh, thanks, Dr. Biaro. I think um, governments do have a significant role to play in addressing um, COVID-19 vaccination, and uh, particularly in making use of healthcare workers in, in improving uh, vaccine uptake. Uh, you rightly mentioned in your question uh, that there are differences in these attitudes of, of people. And the first step would really be uh, the research to understand what these attitudes are and what is generating these attitudes and this will be the first step to, to trying to uh, elucidate uh, what, what, the, what, what the levers of change could be. How can we change people's attitudes? How can we uh, change their perception and therefore change uh, their, what we call health-seeking uh, behavior? It is clearly shown that uh, many people do respond to healthcare workers and, 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 and like to hear the views and opinions of healthcare workers, not only in clinics and in health facilities, uh, but also in the community, uh, wherever there's a healthcare worker, people will ask for his or her opinion uh, regarding health issues, including uh, vaccination. So I think that uh, if I were to have the opportunity to speak to governments, what I would say is that there needs to be the integration of education on vaccination, its benefit and how it is evolving specifically tailored to different caters of healthcare workers. Uh, 
and to train them on how to communicate uh, this importance of vaccination uh, to others around them and the people with whom they may come into contact. I think this should not be limited only to, say, community health nurses or, or doctors who see patients in consulting rooms, but, but all caters of, of healthcare workers uh, really do have a role to play in this. Our next question, um, Dr. Masi, why are some healthcare workers not accepting the vaccine? How can you encourage other healthcare workers to get vaccinated? And how important is this for improving overall confidence in the vaccine and preventing transmission? That's a very interesting one, Dr. Biaro. Uh, from my experience and also from uh, some of the literature, the overarching reason why healthcare workers are not accepting the vaccine is that they feel that they have had the virus already. And so they don't need the vaccine. Many have had the opportunity to test and, and it's shown that they have antibodies or they actually fell ill with the disease. And so they think that they don't need to be vaccinated any longer. Now, it's really important that we provide them with the clear evidence that having had the infection before uh, does not um, negate or preclude uh, the need for, for vaccination. Uh, vaccination provides a very distinct uh, kind of protection against infection, against severe illness, and against death uh, that is not always provided by having had the infection before. Also, one may have had the infection before, but with a particular uh, variant of the, the virus. One may have had the infection very early in the pandemic and so would actually need uh, the vaccination. So it just shows you at different levels uh, the utility of vaccination, the necessity of vaccination, especially ultimately in preventing severe illness and in, in preventing death. Um, so we move to the next question, Dr. Mwasi, um, and this looks at um, vaccination, um, including use of booster um, doses. So some people ask if they still need a booster vaccine in the future, as they already have been told that they are fully vaccinated and the guidance doesn't seem clear. How do you advise people about the importance of booster vaccines? Thanks again for that. Um, the question of booster vaccination has always been one that has, uh, you know, been a bit of an issue, especially among healthcare workers. Um, there are some healthcare workers who've received one shot, others went for two, others have had three, and I know a few who've had five or more. Uh, so you see that it really differs. There's the healthcare worker who is ever so eager to take a shot anytime and the opportunity arises and the other who's so hesitant um, to, to take a shot. Now, the truth is that we, we really don't know how far we're going to go with booster vaccination. I can tell you that for those vaccines for which a booster has been recommended, uh, the, it is based on very clear evidence about the, the waning levels of antibodies, also the changes in the virus itself. And these are what have necessitated the need for a booster. Some of these boosters are boosters of the same that was already received. And some boosters are boosters with a different one that offers a different kind of protection. Ultimately, it is the knowledge that we gather moving forward that will inform whether or not boosters will be needed. But if I can also add, it's also how successful we are in getting the masses vaccinated that would determine whether or not a booster will be needed. Because if we're able to get the vast majority of healthcare workers, the vast majority of our populations vaccinated, ultimately, 
there'll be no need uh, for any more intervention, including booster vaccination. Uh, so really the choice is ours um, to do what we need to do now or to wait, and it may require a lot more effort to get to where we need to. Thank you very much, Dr. Mwansi. Indeed, a lot of effort is needed uh, when it comes to booster vaccination in the African context, given that most countries are um, still working on fully vaccinating their populations in the primary uh, vaccination series. And um, more studies are needed to guide policy regarding um, booster vaccination in our setting. Um, so we're going to move to the next question, Dr. Mwasi. And this question reads, while my local authorities have been encouraging vaccinations, there are still people who do not want to get vaccinated. How can you help encourage the general population to get vaccinated or work with communities to improve engagement, especially when social media is so prevalent and can spread misinformation? Understanding um, social interactions and social connections or social networks, I think perhaps holds the key because people are influenced by those around them. They are influenced by the information that is provided uh, to them via different mediums. Thankfully, in Africa, there is a, a, a very strong um, um, a penetration of mobile phone technology and, and by, by that also the internet. Now, this allows us to understand social networks even better and to leverage this to provide information, the right information that allows people to make uh, the right kinds of decisions. So I think really understanding the social networks in many parts of Africa, including rural Africa, and understanding um, the, uh, the inroads that are trying to define the inroads uh, that we can make into, into these um, social networks will go a long way uh, to uh, helping us to provide uh, the information that would make people choose uh, to be vaccinated. Thank you, Dr. Masi. And we now move to our final question. There have been several organizations working to improve access to vaccines, such as COVAX. Can you tell us more about some of the work they are doing and what impact they have made so far? Well, thanks for that question once again. Uh, regarding COVAX, I think it was a brilliant, uh, brilliant, innovative financing mechanism that allowed vaccines to come uh, into Africa fairly quickly, starting with Ghana. It was clear that the COVAX facility alone was not enough, but it was a great start. Uh, and there needs to be improvement, not only for COVID, but in the future, uh, to be able to make vaccines available quickly uh, and in sufficient quantities in uh, parts of the world where some of the poorest people live. At some point, countries were even willing to buy, but getting the vaccine was a problem. And so what this means is that investments in manufacturing capacity globally, but importantly in Africa, are very critical. And I know that there's a lot of effort, bilateral agreements and arrangements between countries in, in the North and in the South to boost vaccine manufacturing capacity in Africa. And, and for me, this is perhaps the single most important effort that is ongoing uh, to ensure that access to vaccines is improved significantly across the African continent. Thank you very much. We have now come to the end of our conversation. Um, having looked at the benefits and risks of COVID-19 vaccines, factors preventing people from getting vaccinated, and how healthcare workers can help improve vaccine uptake in Africa. Equitable access to COVID-19 vaccines, vaccines is of great importance and Africa must not be left behind. 
Thank you very much, Dr. Masi, for, for the interesting conversation. Thank you. Thank you to both our faculty and thank you to our audience for listening to this Touch podcast. You can access more content on COVID-19 vaccination and related topics on Touch Infectious Diseases at www.touchinfectiousdiseases.com.